entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Welcome to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, SoundsofBroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into SoundsofBroadway.com, playing the best from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. I'll be your host for this podcast series. One thing I have not mentioned during the previous podcast is I am a theater critic. I'm president of the Connecticut Critics Circle, member of the Outer Critics Circle. So I thought I would invite some colleagues to talk about what it means to be a critic. So with me today, I have Tim Leininger from the journal Inquirer, Aaron Isaacs, theater journalist for Shore Publications, and she has her blog, twonthe.isle.wordpress.com. So welcome to the program. Thank you Thank for you. asking me. The, the problem with getting critics in a room is I don't think we could ever agree on anything, which is kind of nice. So let's hopefully not have a boring conversation when we're just all nodding heads saying, yes, Tim, thank you. I agree. And Karen, and not entertain our audience. So how about if we start off with what is it to be a theater critic? We all do that. When theaters are open, we are reviewing dozens and dozens of Connecticut productions, reviewing productions at the Palace Theater in Waterbury. So what is it to be a critic? I think that part of it is to bring a knowledgeable eye to productions and to hopefully present material so that audiences or readers, audiences, listeners can make judgments as to where to spend their dollars and their time. And sort of as a lesser thing, to encourage an understanding of the role of theater in American culture. You're right. Those are things that we aim for. And and that goes into the question of what makes a critic and what doesn't make a critic. That's the delineation that Karen's points bring out is uh, because, and we live in a world where anyone can be a, a, quote, critic now with social media and everybody being able to express their opinions however they want question is, are those people critics? Or are those just people voicing their opinion? They're not necessarily synonymous. I agree. And then there's the category of reviewer, <clears throat> which to me is more of someone who goes to a show and then sort of summarizes the plot and describes what the set looks like, but doesn't really give any opinions or analytical aspects, like what does it all mean? We're really looking at a a number of different things where a critic is someone who, as Karen said, has some background, has maybe a wealth of knowledge. And it's not so much to say, I'm going to show off in my review by saying, oh, well, when I saw the original production back in 1970, this or 1980, but to have enough of a knowledge base that they can present to the reader some some information or critical analysis that the average person might not think about to help with their viewing pleasure, maybe their viewing understanding. And even with some critics, or maybe every critic, we don't understand everything. I know I go to a number of shows, (laughs) certain theaters in Connecticut, And I walk out of there and if I take a friend and they turn to me and say, what did you think? And I'm like, well, what did you think? Because I'm hoping they can translate what just happened. Um, I walked out of a show and I said to my daughter-in-law was with me and I said, I don't have the vaguest idea what I'm going to write about. I eventually figured out 
and gained a little bit deeper understanding of what it was all about. But still, I was as befuddled as some of the audience. I think one of the things that we strive toward, but don't necessarily always achieve when it comes to uh, presenting our review of a piece is Alex Trebek effect. It's something that I've recently came up with while watching some of the uh, substitute hosts that have been filling in for Jeopardy since Trebek's passing. He always presented himself as someone who had the knowledge of every answer on that board. And I think that's something that personally I strive toward is to, in every review I write, to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) We all strive for that. I think one of the things I sometimes strive to do is to put something in context, either of when the play was written or what was going on at the period in which the play is set, or pointing out connections with current society. Especially with historical pieces, yeah. And I think that's where there's some controversy with critics because, and even with with the viewers, is that you're trying to put things in context or you might have a historical show or a show that's set in the 1960s or in the 1920s and people want to take today's values and look at the show through those, through the lens of today, where you can't necessarily do that, or you have to understand, well, we might not agree, and it might not be politically correct, but let's understand and maybe use that as a discussion. Not that our our review has to be an opinion piece in the sense of like an op-ed, but here's some things to think about, which you might not have thought about. One of the things, and it came up this fall, in the fall, two theaters, in Connecticut were doing streaming productions and they both did plays about Robert Kennedy. Two different plays, two very different productions. And talking with someone, I'm someone who lived through that. In fact, I had already graduated from college in 1968. And in talking to some of my younger friends, you know, they really didn't know anything about that period. They didn't know that much about Robert Kennedy and what was going on and and his campaign and how he was perceived, etc. And so I made it a point in my review to try and bring some of those things in that I had experienced and I had I was aware of, you know, that people who are in their 40s or even 50s might not be aware of. Well, I always say that about come from away, that even now, I, I really want to hear from middle school students, high school students, what their perspective is, because they weren't born where we we all sat there. We watched the towers tumble. And what's going to happen 20 years from now? Is it going to be that relic of a piece where for me, that is such an emotionally charged show. I mean, on my radio station, I have a hard time playing music because I I start welling up, especially the finale of that show when they're, it's just, it's a very emotional piece. And it's sometimes hard to translate that into a review if you haven't lived through that. For me, I I think of shows like Kiss Me Kate or uh, The Taming of the Shrew, which is the same story, more or less. That show specifically has dated material that makes things look permissible that shouldn't be. And that's where it gets touch and go. When you talk about shows like Carousel or Ragtime, those have incendiary issues that are still currently needing to be addressed because they're negative things 
that still impact our culture today that they were trying to address in those shows back in the late 90s and back in the 1940s. So there's a difference between shows that are problematic because the material is sensitive, and then there's shows that are problematic because they seem to propagate a message that is negative in our modern time. And that's the difference when it comes to dealing with as a critic and being able to spell that out when it comes to history and storytelling. Well, I think what what we're all saying is there's so many different aspects of a show and we have to pick out what we're going to emphasize, what we're going to talk about. I think for me, coming up with the lead, that first paragraph, I and mean, that could take mm-hmm. an hour, that could take days to come up with how do I want to present this right up front that is hopefully going to catch the reader's eye that I want to read more. And everything we've talked about, we have to decide what goes in without writing a five-page review that no one's going to read. We're all journalists. We all know if you get the lead right, the rest of the story sort of writes itself. Here we are talking about critics, and we've been doing this for a while. And now we have social media and social media gets larger and larger. There's new social media outlets. Do we really need critics? Because I'm just going to read Joe's blog or, oh, there's that post on Twitter. So why do I need you guys when I'll just do a search and, oh, here's 20 or 30 different opinions? Problem for me is, are they knowledgeable opinions? That's the current problem that we deal with as critics is How do we get our word out to say, hey, we are an informed opinion. That person over there is not. Audiences need to be able to, or or people who are reading reviews or watching reviews should be able to differentiate the good from the bad, but they don't always do. And that's, that's a hard thing. I know people who seem to love everything. Every show is wonderful. Every musical is the best has the best score ever. Maybe I've taught, uh, you know, I've been a college teacher. I know you can't give out A pluses to everybody. Now, what would you say though to the, the people that, oh, you know what? You guys are just snobs. This is my opinion. My opinion counts. And who are you to say I should think this way when I loved it? I know I've loved shows that both of you have hated. And vice versa. <laughs> and vice versa. Right, but, but our opinions were the correct ones. You were wrong. Oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> and that's about perspective and subjective opinion. It's that everybody's got a different one. And does that make one more right than the other? Not necessarily. Well, if you're basing it upon technical fact, then yes. If I go into one theater and the lights are jacked up and pointing all in the wrong direction, or if there's lights aren't that aren't coming on, that should be coming on, I will say that was terrible lighting because A, B, C, and D. There are invalid opinions out there. That, yes. that doesn't necessarily be, mean that because they disagree with you that they're invalid, but, they're in, but there are invalid opinions because they are uneducated and uninformed. And that's the difference. We've just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the opening of Follies, Fondheim's absolutely brilliant show and brilliant score. And you go back and you look at the major New York reviewers and how many of them mm, they didn't think the score was that good. And one of my favorite stories is Sondheim again, his score for A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Now, 
Remember, Forum won Best Musical, Best Actor, Best Book. It won almost every Tony Award. Sondheim's score was not even nominated that year. I would think people going back now would look at that and be very enthusiastic. I've always been enthusiastic about the score. So you have people's opinions change. That's ironic because the subject matter of Forum is now considered extremely dated and should be avoided, even though the score is, yeah, a lot of fun. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with more from Tim Leininger, Karen Isaacs, critics of the Connecticut Critics Circle, and Tim of the Journal Inquirer, Karen of of Shore Publications. So please stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones, whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love, Webster will help you take your next steps on your time. We're back with our theater critics of the moment. Karen Isaacs of Shore Publications and twoontheisle.wordpress.com and Tim Leininger of the Journal Inquirer. And we are going on and on about critics, what makes a critic. How about, do you feel that critics are unloved by the general public, by theaters, producers? Are we a necessary evil? I don't think we're evil. And I frankly don't care what people's opinion are of me. I, I think it's fascinating how many theater people claim they don't read reviews and yet they want them. When we say good things about them, they love us and we're brilliant. And when we say that the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, we're obviously evil, mean-spirited, and don't know what we're talking about. Theater ticket prices, even in Connecticut, are not cheap in many cases. And people can't see everything. They have to make choices, even if they love theater, of what they're going to see and what they're going to miss. And I think critics can help them. I think it's a lot like what I do with movie or restaurant critics. Uh, I read some and usually from the review, even though maybe the restaurant critic loves that restaurant, as I'm reading the review, I'm deciding for myself that, yeah, this may be a great restaurant, but it's not for me. I think one of the positive things is on the Connecticut Critics website. So it's ctcritics.org. And again, we're talking pre-pandemic here. We have reviews. So you can go and there'll be, for example, most of us go to the Goodspeed Opera House. You could have maybe 10 different reviews and you could very quickly peruse them to sort of get, I think, an overall feeling or you connect with someone. Mm -hmm. And we, we have all that right there for people to look at. And to sort of give you that flavor, I think if there are 10 reviews for a certain production and all 10 reviews are not that favorable, yes, the theater is not going to like that. But we're giving people an idea of this group of critics 
how we're leaning towards. Another thing about the Critic Circle website is having everybody's reviews aggregated together in one spot is that it allows people to become familiar with all of our individual voices and see which ones that they connect with. If they like my reviews and they go and see the shows and they end up agreeing with what I say, guess what? They can follow me every show that I go and trust in my judgment. Now, someone can take the same way about Karen and think that her point of view is more to their liking than mine. And they start reading her all the better. Find the voice that connects with you the most and you end up agreeing with most often. And also there could be people, different critics that come up with different ideas. I always am amazed at some of our colleagues because I think they are very good writers and they come up with things. And I read people's reviews and I go, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. So there are things that each of us can pick out that other critics might not. So again, I think for the theater going audience, if they do go to the website and they do look at some of the reviews, they might get points here and there that come up with a better whole. Mm -hmm. And and I said pre-pandemic before, as far as the reviews, the Connecticut Critics website, and again, it's ctcritics.org, is still up and we are still publishing reviews. I mean, it's most, it, well, not mostly, well, actually it is mostly streaming. Yeah, except music, for NTC. Yeah, Music Theater of Connecticut has been doing in person. So there are reviews that are are up there. So for streaming, and we're hoping that late summer, early fall, we quote unquote, go back to normal. I don't think any of us know what that means. I don't think the theaters necessarily know what that means. But we will be going back and posting many, many reviews. One of the things I always tell people is that Connecticut has a wealth of professional theaters. I mean, these are regional theaters that have won the Tony Award for Best Regional Theater. Goodspeed is the only theater in the country that's won it twice. And really, depending upon where you live, for example, in the center part of the state, within a 45-minute drive, you can go to most theaters. So there's a lot out there. And as Karen said, we all don't have the resources to see everything. We don't have the time to see everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another purpose of the critics is to help sort through things to give people a better idea of what choices they should make. We've talked a lot about our communication with the audience, uh, less so with the creatives, the producers, the actors. And I think we have a very important role when it comes to the development of better theater. I think that's often missed. When it comes to a good critic, it's being able to get through the rose-tinted glasses that producers, directors, designers end up having for their show because they get so invested in a show for so long and it's their baby, it's their passion, it's the love of their life for however long it takes to make it. And I think that our perspective and our attention to the audience members, how they respond, and our knowledge of theater and how it works can find those weak spots. Like, let's take Good Speeds passing through. They allowed us to watch it with the understanding that it is a workshop piece. And there are elements that needed work. And and uh, I enjoyed the show, but there were problems. And I made a point to say that, look, this is a piece that is still in the works. And these are things that need to be done in order that I think 
should be done in order to make the show better as it progresses into the future for whatever future it has. And when it comes to shows like that are finished products, our response can inform what the theater should consider in the future when it comes to uh, what makes a good show, what doesn't make a good show. Now they can think our opinion is total junk and to totally disregard us, but it would I think it behooves them to listen to what we say. I think you're right. And I think I have found many theaters in Connecticut, when, particularly when they're doing new works, even Goodspeed's workshops, they will seek me out, you know, as I'm leaving the theater or something. What do you think? What's this? You know, how did you feel about that? So they are seeking out at least a wide range of, I guess, what they consider knowledgeable opinions uh, to help them. Well, I think also the critics can help maybe solidify a show. So I would bring up the example of Hartford Stage, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. This was a finished product. This was the, I I don't know, at that point, it wasn't necessarily the pre-Broadway run because they didn't necessarily know that this was going to go. I believe most of our colleagues like the show, love the show. And I think Hartford Stage could look at that and say, this was the critical reaction. Let's now take it or explore that next step. You're right. So in in some ways, theater people do respect us. They may not like to acknowledge that they listen. (laughs) I think one of the dangers could be that if we view ourselves as being too self-important, because I mean, I look at myself again, going back to originally what we were talking about, someone knowledgeable. I've been going to the theater. I hate to say this, 50 years. So I had this wealth of knowledge. I think I can communicate by writing. And I think that you know this is a service that we can provide for the theater-going audience, the theaters themselves. I agree with Karen that some theaters will look towards us about what did we think? Because as Tim mentioned before, with some of the technical aspects, the average audience member might not hone in on that, about the lighting, the costumes, the sets. And it shouldn't be the emphasis maybe on the review, but a lot of that is going to help with the final product. I reviewed On Your Feet when it came to the Bushel, the national tour, and uh, someone had screwed up the focus to the rear projection on the, on the scrim on the back of the upstage. And I put it in my review. I said the a digital backdrop on the screen was out of focus. Two days later, I got, I got an email from the designer of the show. <laughs> he goes, thanks for telling me. No, it's, thanks for saying that. It's not supposed to be blurry. I will fix it. And I'm like, great. Someone's listening to me. <laughs> you know? And the, and the show was improved, I would hope. And when it, when it moved from the Bushnell to its next location. I, I think also sometimes we can really cheerlead for a play, particularly more a play than a musical, because people tend to like musicals. You know, a lot of people, they don't go to see plays, but they go to see musicals. Right. But cheerlead for a worthwhile show that people might not otherwise think, oh, I don't want to go and see that topic or a play about that, or I don't want to go and see a a play by a Russian playwright or whatever. And we can really encourage people to see it and have an impact on the box office. I always remember the story from, and it was the New York Times, not a local critic, unfortunately, back in the 70s, Long Orf did a production of Brian Friel's uh, The Faith Healer. And it was doing rather poor business. Audiences weren't terribly enthusiastic. And it got an absolute stupendous rave in the New York Times that you should see this. It's brilliant. The the acting, the whole thing. They sold out the rest of the run. And the audience was there 
attentive and cheering and absolutely engaged. I can remember one of my reviews had the same reaction. Can't remember the name of the show now, but. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you wish. I know. Well, but I think that is something that, you know, again, I don't think we have that influence. And I think, you know, it leads to a general question of how much influence does a review have? Because the people that are panned, let's say, by the New York Times, they want to blame the critics. But of course, when there's a rave, you know, they might say, well, it's because of the review. But a lot of shows that got mixed reviews, they lasted for years. So it's not always the, the kiss of death. Yeah, Les Miserables did not get positive reviews. It got rather mediocre reviews when it came out and it ran for decades. For me, it's nice to know that even when I give a really negative review, that I'm able to, at some point, find some nugget of good within it. I remember attending a theater critics conference a few years ago. Tim, I think actually both of you were there. And it was a panel of playwrights, which Mm -hmm. was an interesting panel. Playwrights talking to theater critics. But David Lindsay Abair had written, had said a number of things that have resonated. But one thing he said is, we're human and we read the reviews. So in a sense, he was saying, if you're going to write about us, you don't have to be snarky. Talk about, I mean, if there's a problem, what didn't, what didn't work for you? Or as opposed to just easily saying, well, this show is terrible. Don't go see it. What are the reasons? And as Tim just said, are there some bright spots? I mean, most shows, you can find something that is is positive. Our time is running short. What are you looking forward to when theaters reopen? I mean, really reopen. So we now have all the, I think, you know, 18 or so equity theaters in the state. They're back. They have a full schedule. What are you looking for? Not sitting at home every night alone. (laughs) Maybe it's just personal because I used to work for the company, but I I really look forward to walking into Hartford stage again. Of all the theaters that decided not to do anything streaming wise when it comes to uh, performances, they still do streaming events, but they're not doing any shows. It's It's the theater I miss the most. I think, to be honest, the thing that I most miss is the communal experience of an of a live audience watching live performers. I'm going to agree 100%. I think throughout all the years we've been going to the theater, we could pick out probably many shows where we had that combination emotional connection with what's going on stage, that communal experience, whether it's a musical, whether it's a comedy and the entire theater is hysterical, a drama where everyone's crying or you could hear a pin drop because of what's going on stage. And you can't get that streaming. No. So, that, I mean, that's what I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to the most. We have to close. I know we could probably talk for hours, but we don't want to bore our podcast listeners. So I want to thank Tim Leininger of the Journal Inquirer, Karen Isaacs of Shore Publications and Two on the Isle. WordPress.com. You've been listening to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, SoundsOfBroadway.com. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway Buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Show.